Canucks Central in the Kintech studio here on a Friday. So you know what that means. It's the mailbag. Oh, we love the mailbag. That's right. Mailbag Friday is here. And if you missed the other parts of the show and are just tuning in for the mailbag, you uh, missed Bruce Boudreaux in hour two. His uh, comments on what's going on at training camp so far, why he thinks Nils Hoaglander was the best player on the ice. Check that out on podcast. Also, uh, Ian McIntyre with a lot of his thoughts on the major Canucks storylines. In hour one, an exclusive conversation with Brock Besser and more of our thoughts on Bo Horvat and the current negotiation he's got going on with the Vancouver Canucks. So check it out on the podcast. You can listen all over the weekend, and that way you're fully up to date on everything Vancouver Canucks. We'll also have a post-game show for you after the first preseason game this Sunday against the Calgary Flames. So be sure to be subscribed to the podcast so that you don't miss that as well. All right. It's Mailbag Friday. Let's not waste any more time. Producer Josh Elliott Wolf has Hello. compiled all of the questions. He has uh, discarded any questions about Kirk Cousins because it's the Canucks mailbag. Yes. And it, and it makes me sad. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dan likes to start the show off talking about like Browns things and things that make me sad. Yes. So. At least they won. Yeah. I will say this. Nick Chubb might be one of my favorite athletes oh, in the world to watch right now. He's incredible. Now. What a running back. You see the video they showed of him squatting? Like, Dude, he squatted like 700 pounds, whatever it was. <laughs> it's insane. They got to use the weird bar because he's, yeah. there's too much the weight. The bar's like bent in half around his shoulders. Like, what is happening? There's a, there's a picture of, because Nick Chubb in college, I think he ran 100 meters as well. Like, yeah. You, know, you can tell. Powerful runner, right? Uh, and he's warming up, and he's, like, jumping to warm up, like, jump yeah. squat, like, warm. His jump, he's higher than his contestant next to him. His feet are, like, above the the next runner next to him. Yeah. Guy's an incredible athlete. Do you think you'd be able to tackle Nick Chubb? No. 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 Dude, NFL <laughs> defenders can't tackle him. You, like, break us in half. What's more likely you uh, are actually able to tackle Nick Chubb or you get injured trying to tackle Nick Chubb? Injured trying easy, yeah. easy. Yeah, I he, probably he would get like a shoulder. <laughs> if I were to even be able to get a hand on him, I'd probably just like I'd get cracked ribs just from touching him. His his <laughs> stiff arm would break your sternum. <laughs> <laughs> All right, mailbag time. Okay, first question is from Oz. Uh, says we heard how hard it was to move money this summer. <laughs> how much do you think that influenced the roster to go more quote all in this year? For example, we can't really move OEL's money out. By the time they would be done retooling, the money is extremely inefficient. I think it played a big part into it. I, I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't agree with the characterization that they're they are all in on this year. They're not all in. Mm-hmm. They are in a win-now mode, for sure. But it's not like it's all-in here. They're not all-in. But, to the point... If they were all-in, they'd be willing to move their first-round draft choice, and Jim Rutherford told us yesterday they're still not in a position that they feel comfortable with doing that. And they would have had options to do certain things to get older players, which they didn't do, which they could have gone, which would have helped them this year and next year type of deal. And that's not the avenue they took, but I understand the point. Now, the thing, though... That overall just gets super 
What were we talking about? How hard it is to oh, move money. Move money. Yes, it's, I thought I was totally just blanked halfway through. No, but I do think to the, to the point. It made it looks like it's more of an all-in year because they weren't able to make as many moves as they wanted to. Like I think they wanted to kind of. We said yeah. this too. They weren't going to take a big step back, but it was change things up a little bit, but try to make the playoffs still next season. The fact that it looks so much like last season, I think, to Oz's point, is because they couldn't move as many guys as they wanted. It, you know, could you have moved a Pearson? Could you have moved some money out? They tried to. It was very difficult. Yeah. <laughs> Around the league, it was very difficult. But you pass the time. Pearson gets closer to contract expiry. Myers gets closer to contract expiry. You have more flexibility to potentially do some of those things. So it's it was unexpected the way this offseason played out. But I don't th- like if you were to get Patrick Alvine into a corner off the record and ask him like, "Do you think you could win the Stanley Cup this year?" as if it's an all-in year. Probably the answer is no. No, the answer is no. But to yeah. answer the question, this looks like more of an all-in year or more of a we-believe-in-this-team year because they yeah. were a- unable to do as much as they wanted. All right, next question. Okay, we are into the Horvat section. Oh, uh, took 10 minutes almost. Yeah, this one from Jeff. Handicap the odds. Horvat signs before October 12th. October 12th, that's Hor- a, okay. Yeah, Horvat signs during the season. Horvat traded before the deadline or none of the above. Horvat traded before the deadline. Really? That's more of a prediction than handicapping the odds. But um, yeah. I, I think right now, odds are the favorite would be Horvat signs during the season. Mm-hmm. Would you agree? That's that's the uh, odds on props. Favorite. Yeah, that, that would be the lowest odds. Okay. That's a, that's a more chalky pick. I may take the chalk on this one. You may take the chalk? I may take the chalk. I mentioned this when I was on with Pat Steinberg a few couple weeks ago when we were talking about the bow thing. I'm like, if I wasn't a coward, I predict he gets traded. I'm just not sure they're there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, Horvat signs before October 12th. I, honestly, I feel like that's the least likely scenario to play out now. Yeah, I, I, I think it's before the deadline, but not in October. Yeah. All right, next question. PC, what is a hard number on the AAV that you will walk away from Bo Horvat? Hard number? Hard number. If it was up to me, like, probably make 7-2. Yeah. Like, I don't even want to do 7. I wouldn't. But I can understand, like, push comes to shove. If you do 6, you're what? I get it. Like, it's not the worst. But I'm not going a penny above 7. Like, 7-1 even, I'd say no. Yeah. Like I don't even want to do the Cadre seven times seven. Like I don't like that. But that would be like that. the that would be the absolute like absolute top end. Look, if you didn't sign Miller, then yeah, go ahead, fill your boots, sign Bo Horvat for yeah. seven or seven and change. But you did sign Miller, so that that leads me to believe that they have to sign Bo Horvat or they have to get his number and keep his number under seven million dollars. The only way you can do that is eight years. Eight you got to make a sacrifice somewhere. You know, if you go eight years, there's a that that's a Braden Shen contract, six point yeah. five million, eight years, fifty two and a half million, which is on the heavier side. I think if you, if the Canucks are going eight years, I think they kind of want that AAV in the six. You know, yeah. like low six. If we're going that far, we want the AAV to really help us out, not just be barely under seven. I I would say that's that's for me at this point, that's the best way to sign Bo Horvat because it. I don't like eight years. <sighs> 
What are you going to do? Not sign him. But I mean, you're asking what I would do. But I mean, what's the team going to do? Is well, the how do, how do you build a team? You know, every five hundred thousand, every million dollars counts. Yeah. You know, and if you can get Bo around six and a quarter, maybe if it goes to eight years. That leaves you a little bit more flexibility when the cap goes up 10% in the next few years. And then in year three, four of Demko's contract, you're maybe available to do some things. That's the that's the pie in the sky type yeah. thing about it. And you're essentially punting seven, eight years from now when you've got Miller, OEL, and or six years from now when you got yeah. Miller, OEL, and, and Horvat still under contract. Very much pie in the sky. This one from David. Uh, if Contract talks are not going well. Could Bo possibly get dealt for a right-handed defenseman? Uh, uh, he yes. would get dealt. I don't know if it's for a right-handed defenseman. As much as the Canucks want to improve the defense, uh, if they have to, if they feel like they have to trade Bo, then it's not right-handed defenseman or bust. Because if Bo's not going to be here long-term, it, it opens up another question. This is why it's not as simple as just trading anybody. It's the same conversation with JT and anybody else that you move. Or wingers, there's a bit more there that you can figure out. But now, who's playing center on your third line? Yeah. That's a very good question. You know, hey, maybe Lazar can do it for a bit, but is he long-term the guy? Jason Dickinson? Probably not the guy long-term. Is there, is there a scenario where it's acceptable to not trade Bo Horvat at the deadline? And just let him walk? Yeah. No. I don't see them doing There's that. There's no scenario. No. Like, they're first in the Pacific Division – no, I don't see it. Everything gels. They look like more of a contender than we thought. I don't see it. I don't see it. I, I think that there, as much as this team, again, this goes back to the whole. So all there's in no thing. scenario you'd be comfortable with letting the Bo Horvat situation play out beyond the. Because you're not all in. Yeah. Is this the year you're winning the Stanley Cup? Is this your best chance? Out, out of all the years you have, Hughes signed up to. You got Demko and you got Pedersen. Is this the year that's your best chance of winning a Stanley Cup? Probably not. No. If it is, then there's a big problem. If, if it was, okay, sure. Like, let's just see what happens. We'll let them walk. Because, hey, we, we might win a Stanley Cup. You're not there. If they were all in, they would be open to doing that. They're not all in. That's why they're not open to doing that, I don't think. And, I mean, okay, going by what they've said themselves, Alvina said we're not in a position to let free agents walk for nothing. And asked about Bo, whether that's still holding true for him. He said, yeah, it still holds true for that situation. I, uh... I don't see it, Dan. Look... I know they should do that. I'm skeptical we would see that happen if if they're like first in the Pacific, looking really good come trade deadline time. Well, it's, I, it's, I don't I don't know if they have because then you're you're kind of committing to this being the Gabriel Landeskog situation and you're just. But they were a team out. that Stanley Cup contender yeah. that year. I mean, last this year they won. The year before they were considered a contender. They stubbed their toes against Vegas. If in the, the Canucks are Calgary of last year, do they? Still go down. Do you, do you, like, where I mean, their metrics look great. They Demko's going. The only way I see them doing that, Dan, is if they know they're still going to sign him. The only way I see them being like, okay, let's just go with this is because they know push comes. Well, hey, w- at the end of the day, we'll just give him the money that he wants. Yeah. Be like, hey, we don't want to pay him seven and a half, eight, but you know what? To keep him, we'll do it. And he'll take it when we offer it to him. So I think that's the only way they hold on to him. But if they do... To me, that's them going into it with a 90% certainty or a degree of certainty that they're going to be able to sign them. All right. This one from Drew. 
With the forward lines constructed as is, do you think the Canucks can outscore their defensive issues? Yes, in the regular season. So, (laughs) not to be like a results guy over process, but the Canucks didn't make the playoffs last year because they weren't good enough offensively. Essentially, that's what it boils down to. They were great with their goals against... Amongst the best in the Western Conference. The Canucks were not able to outscore their problems last year. Yeah. They were minus five in goal differential by the time the season came to an end. No, sorry. They were plus 13 in goal differential when the yeah. season came to an end. They were plus 13 goal differential last year. They're, so they were they were a team that was plus 13 last year. Yeah. As, be as Bruce Boudreaux keeps mentioning, we were fine. We were great defensively last year. Even you look at their five-on-five five goals against, they were second yeah. Second, only behind the Minnesota Wild after Bruce Boudreaux took over. And overall goals against, they were ninth. Yeah. Like, I get it. You know, they don't profile as a team that should be great defensively on their process. They don't do a lot of great things defensively. They give up a lot of high danger chances, and Thatcher Demko bails them out. And I don't expect them to be a top five, top, top five team defensively yeah. this year. But there is a pathway for them to be top 10. Yeah, but I think just to answer the question, they can outscore their, their problems. Yeah. The question is, by how much can they do it? And how much do they need to do it by to be a playoff team? They should be able to. Yeah. All right. Okay, next one. Sterling, what's better for Hoaglander at this point in his career? Bottom six minutes in the NHL or AHL top line minutes and power play opportunities? If Hoaglander's playing in the bottom six regularly, that means the coach trusts what he's doing, which means he's doing the things they want him to do away from the puck that makes him a good player. I'd rather have him play 12, 13, 14 minutes a game, be trusted in the NHL, than go and play 20 minutes a game in the AHL. The only way I would... uh... The only way I would want to see Nils Hoaglander in the AHL is if he's sitting in the press box most nights. Yeah. That's, that's really the Pretty only scenario. Or if he's like playing if he's like playing, seven minutes a game or something. As, as long as he's playing in the NHL, like I'm I'm, I'm pretty okay with he's that. He's playing a regular role and he's trusted. Yeah. Then I, that's probably better for his development. I still think it's it's pretty much between Kuzmenko and Hoaglander. Who's going to win that spot? And it, they might just like want to see Kuzmenko in some NHL games before they, you well, know. That's why I think that we could very – this is why I like the idea of Hoaglander, if he plays well, to be on your fourth line, as much yeah. as in a traditional fourth line. You still have Lazar. You still have Joshua or Dickinson. So you still have that – what you need on that fourth line. But if Kuzmenko struggles at all or things aren't going well, that's an easy guy to you move up. You switch yeah. around a little bit. You can hide Kuzmenko. You can take a few shifts off. You can slow play him a little bit. And then you have a guy like Hoaglander who can step into that role and play with Pedersen because he has played with Pedersen. And to your point – I don't think it's a coincidence that Kuzmenko is playing alongside Pedersen on the left, uh, on the wing, when the easy guy to slot in for him who's not there is Hoaglander. Yeah, and they know if that, push that, on the shove, yeah. that's what we do. Um, it, you know what? It probably ends up that Dakota Joshua is a healthy scratch probably start the season. first night of the season. Yeah, and I know and, the organization and, signed him and thinks highly of him, but it's still the coach making that decision. Yeah. All right, next. All right, this one from Anish. Will Quinn permanently stay on the right side if the experiment works out? No, I don't think it's, it'll be permanent. I think it's one of those things that as long as it, it's an option, it's a great thing for them to have. And today, the way the Canucks roster is built, it could be a good thing for them. 
But in a couple of years, what if they draft the right guy? What if Myrenberg, my boy, steps up one year, Dan? And, or what if somebody else steps up in a year? Or you make another trade? Well, then maybe it's better for Hughes to go back to the left side. I think him having the versatility is the most important thing here. But I don't think this means he's going to be on the right side for the rest of his career in Vancouver. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's a full career thing. But hearing Boudreaux today looks like it's something that they are going to continue to trot out for now. And I, I guess the, the question is, ultimately, is having OEL and Hughes, like, if it isn't an elite pair, is it worth keeping them together? No. The like, only way if, they yeah. don't, if they don't have the results that they think this will have, is it worth keeping them together? Or do you revert back to what you had last year? OEL and Myers, Hugh Shen, there's your top four. Imperfect, but you just embrace it. The reason you get those guys together, it's for them to be one of the best pairs in the league. Yeah. If they're just good, is it worth it? Like I said before, I don't know if the Canucks are a better team with Hughes playing the right side. They are if two things happen. One, that pair is so good that they crush and allows somebody else to emerge on the left side, say Rathbone, that all of a sudden stabilizes things. But if it's just for him playing the right side and it's a marginal, like, I don't know if it's rearranging deck chairs yeah. unless something meaningful changes. All right, last Canucks one before we move on. Which, this one from Dr. Terry, which one Canuck would you like to see have a career year this season? Elias like Patterson. I mean, uh, yes. As far as personally, I'd love to see Brock. Right. From a human element, I'd love yeah. to see him, you know, have a, have this magnificent career season. Who I'm betting on? I'm betting on the on Besser bouncing back the most. Because let's not forget, as much as uh, Patterson struggled, he still hit a career high in goals. Mm-hmm. He's still a career high in points. And yes, a bad start and all that sort of stuff. Whereas Besser had maybe his least productive season in yeah. the NHL. Uh, yeah, Besser, people really don't, <laughs> people don't realize uh, how much, like how strong Besser's production has been through his career because they've just expected a 40 goal scorer and yeah. he hasn't been that. But that, you know, that's kind of really not looking at the full body of work from Brock Besser. But yeah, for me, it's Elias Pettersson. Like I want to see this guy dominate in the way that he sort of did in that bubble series against the Vegas Golden Knights his sophomore year and I want to see if he can realize that ceiling that's a player I would sign up to watch 82 times that's a player you pay to go see you know like that's he sells tickets ultimately that's the most exciting player on the team alongside Quinn Hughes and Pedersen has that ability all right this one from Soja, ideal spot to sit in Rogers Arena considering the price and experience. Going to play the uh, I only watch the game. <laughs> I have a media pass, so yeah. I don't tend to buy too many tickets. I always thought the best place to watch it, honestly, is the upper bowl. Okay. And because of the vibe, the best place to sit in the upper bowl is either the corner or center ice. Because I love bird's eye view because I like seeing everything. Sitting in the lower bowl is good, but bang for the buck. It's kind of either kind of corner upper bowl or center ice upper bowl. Yeah, I would say like center ice upper bowl in the first few rows specifically. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, first few rows to be specific for sure. Mm -hmm. A little bit cheaper, 
And I just find the vibe in the upper bowl generally to be a bit more raucous. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, anything at center ice. I, I, getting close to the ice is like a one-time thing. Yeah, sitting it, sitting up against the glass is, is a one-time experience. Yeah, but I think if you're watching and paying and watching games regularly, you prefer to be a little bit higher up. You get a better view of the game. You get a... Um, you can see what's happening out there. You can see plays happen as they develop. Uh, for me, that's that's always been the better option. Okay, from Justin, have you ever had a Pear Simone? I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. I have no idea what How, this is. Hands down, a top three fruit. For, I saw that. Uh, persimmon? persimmon? Persimmon, maybe. What is a persimmon? So I Googled it. Okay. The best way I can describe it is like a, a moldy tomato. I, oh, I've definitely had a, one of these. I probably have one of those before. Yeah. Oh, I've, yeah, I think I've had one of those. Yeah. Uh, I, I love these things, actually. I've had those before. What yeah, do they taste tasty. like? They're a little sour, aren't they? No, they're no? like kind of, I, I don't even know. They're sweet-ish. Maybe a, yeah, a little bit sour. Sat's right on that. Um, it's it's quite good. The huh. persimmon. I, it's, been, it's been many years since I've had one, but now I know what it is, yes. <laughs> The most widely cultivated of these is the oriental persimmon, among the most commonly human-grown fruit trees on Earth. Uh, Diosipros is in the family uh, Ebonacea, and a number of non-persimmon species is the genius <laughs> are grown for ebony timber. In 2019, China produced 75% of the world's total persimmon. Mm. So there's a little bit of uh, persimmon. Uh, so so we're not saying persimmon. Persimmon. Man, I was really persimmon. We are. Thought yeah. it was French. Leaned into it. I was <laughs> wrong. A L- little too strong. Yeah, my bad. Uh, <laughs> discount Dracula. We'll end on this one. Would you rather have an expensive small portion but delicious meal out, or have an ex- inexpensive filling and still satisfying meal? So basically. Small meal that tastes really good or big meal that's pretty good? This is a are you young or old question, <laughs> I feel like. Yeah, Because I'm get, taking the latter for sure. Yeah, as I get older, it's about quality. Yeah. Like, I don't know. We've talked about this before. Like, Anton's, not for me, man. I, like, I don't need a big box of pasta to just show up on my doorstep, you know? It's All fine. Right. Like, who who needs to eat this much? It's a big reason why I love a uh, cheesecake factory. No, the good thing about it, it, it depends on where you're right. It depends on where you are in your life. When I was uh, a, when I was first starting out in this business, the small town Alberta, making like twenty one thousand dollars on your salary or whatever, mm-hmm. it was about quantity because you're like, yes. hey, you give me enough for like three meals in one meal, <laughs> that helps me out, that saves me. Now, yeah, like, yep, it's a bit it's different. Like, yeah, I mean when. Uh college days you'd go to the sub shop especially when they had like the bogo uh, things like mm. buy one get one get a sub to eat right now and then a sub to eat tomorrow i used to hit, hit up the uh, all you can eat uh chinese food and in alberta oh and they they would let you do two to go as well just go load that sucker up man i uh i used to go to all you can eat sushi joints all the time when i was younger in toronto uh, yeah yeah not great <laughs> I, I bet not great I would not do that anymore, but I mean, I, I don't know, like inexpensive filling, but still satisfying meal. 
Satisfying in what way? I think filling and you walk away being like, you know what? I got my money's worth and I am full and I'm content. Yeah, you feel good about it. I mean, but like, you know, you can't go for a nice dinner now and, you know, for two people and spend less than a hundred bucks. <laughs> so pretty much. Unless you're like not just drinking water. Yeah, that's. I mean, it's really the, the, the beverages that get you. Yeah. Sorry, that drink was how much? <laughs> how many dollars? That's <laughs> 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 worth it. Maybe. How many I mean, cocktails is too many? Like, too many? Know? Yeah. Or how much? Yeah. How, how much is too much for a cocktail? Yes. I mean, some cocktails like, they're run mostly, like 17, 18, yeah. 20 bucks. That seems a tad aggressive. Oh, man. But I, I I'm it's not going to say I, I haven't. And I, and I can't say I haven't, and I can't say I haven't enjoyed them. Like, there's, like, been, there's been nice restaurants where, you know, you have $18, $19 cocktails. The bill's pretty ridiculous yeah. in the end, but at least it tastes good. But, yeah, it's it's absurd. It's See, not cheap. I, I love me a good old-fashioned, but it, it's usually like $16 or $17. And I hate spending that much mm. <laughs> on an old-fashioned. Anyways. My limit is 10 Oh, yeah? You got, you got a limit? A <laughs> built-in limit? And like I only I should get, have a built-in. Limit. I only get one. Yeah, because it's just it's a lot. It's a lot, and I could just go home and drink more for yeah. cheaper, <laughs> a lot cheaper. Uh, all right, now that we've discussed our drinking habits here on the show, <laughs> uh, we will uh, let you listen in on uh, Brock Besser conversation from earlier on before we are out here on Sportsnet six fifty.